Hello, everybody, and welcome inside the What You Need to Know podcast. I am Tyson Ewing, play-by-play voice of Utah women's basketball, and I'm joined by my radio analyst, Miley Enger. This is the What You Need to Know podcast that focuses on all things University of Utah women's basketball. We'll take an in-depth look at what's going on in the program. It has been some time, in fact, it's been roughly about two years since this was something that we did on a regular basis, but I'm trying to reinvent it and bring it back to you. I'm so excited for it, and now I get to welcome in Miley Enger, who's a radio analyst, a former Division I athlete, played basketball at Sacramento State. And before we start talking about the University of Utah, I kind of want to get to know Miley just a little bit so that you guys can get to know Miley just a little bit as well. First of all, Miley, welcome to the podcast. How do you feel about doing this? I'm excited. This is something that I've kind of wanted to start doing with as a podcast, but now that I have someone to do it with, it makes it way more exciting. It does make it exciting. <laughs> yes, we get to talk about some basketball. I mean, I'm sure that was a big part you wanted to talk about within a podcast, right? Yes, and especially just as playing Division One basketball, I kind of wanted to talk and bring in athletes to get their experience of things. So now that we get to talk youth basketball and hopefully bring on some of the players as well to know and understand their experience. Now that is the direction that we're going to try to head once we get out of our first probably about four to five episodes where I want to go into the regular season because we did not get it, uh, get an opportunity to talk about um, the season or anything like that once the um, actual season came to an end because we were trying to rush to the airport to catch our flights that day. Um, I would like to talk about the regular season, the non-conference regular season, the regular season with conference play, the Pac-12 tournament, and then the NCAA tournament because all four of those um, can fill some really good time. You had an opportunity to be a, a part of quite a lot of that. The, really only the non-conference regular seasons when we didn't work together, but I feel like we can still talk about a lot of that stuff together. I mean, I wasn't there with you, but I was there at the games covering for local media outlets, so I, I kind of know a lot that happened in the non-conference. But then on top of those episodes, we also kind of want to get into the transfer portal, looking at next season with the team as well as what the conference is going to be looking like. It's going to be, a, speaking of, not to not to jump right into that right now because, you know, we want to, we want to kind of build into that, but that is going to be a big, um, big talking point because there has been a lot of changes already in the Pac-12 and especially within the University of Utah program. A lot to look forward to, but where, where I want to start with is, like I said, I want to go into the non-conference regular season, but really before we go into that non-conference, we have to kind of take a rewind a little bit and go back into last season. Now, you were obviously playing basketball at that time at Sacramento State, and you didn't get an opportunity to really see this team play at that time. I can tell you this was not a good basketball team last year. They finished the regular season 5-16, and 16, um, and, and, and once Drew Gilton went down at the end of the season, they lost their last six games, and it was it was it was tough basketball to watch, and I've got no problem saying that because frankly they were they were not a good basketball team. Coach Roberts would tell you they were not a good basketball team. So she came into this season with an entirely entirely new focus, which I know you got to learn a lot about. Just going off of you saying that it wasn't a great year, Coach Roberts has even said that in Pac-12 Media Day at the beginning of the season. She flat out told all of the media last year was quote, a bad year. She flat out said that. And then she said in her 20 years as a head coach, based off of wins and losses, that was the worst season that she's ever had. So took a lot to look at in the mirror because it's obvious to see a winning 
loss record would be like, okay, what we're doing is not working. But for Lynn to be like, what I was doing is not working. Like that was my bread and butter. What I was trying to do, it wasn't working. So she tried to revamp everything to make her program a winning program. And revamp she did. And we saw that right out of the gates when they had their uh, their first, what was it? It was the it was the exhibition game against Westminster College. They came out firing three after three after three. And we knew right away, even in the exhibition, that this was going to be a high-volume three-point shooting team. And Miley, that's exactly what they were. Utah came out, like you said, firing threes. They shot 33 of 68, and more than half their shots were from deep. They shot 14 of 35 from deep, and it just kind of continued through the next couple games as well. Against Lipscomb, they came out and shot 42 threes, went 19 of 42. (laughs) And might I add, that was a record breaker for most three-pointers made in program history. They made 19 of them. They shot, what did you say, 42? 42. Which was also a record breaker for the most three-point attempts in a game. So right out of the gates, we could see this was a completely different offense that was focused on playing inside out, getting good looks from the inside to the outside. A lot of catch-and-shoot threes. And if we want to keep going down the list, again, their next game against Xavier, they shot over 33s again, this time going 14 of 34. And so you look at those games, Westminster, they put up 93 points, and then their next two over 100. The three-point shooting was a big, obviously a big focal point on what they were going to do in their offense, but not just the three-point shooting. It was about getting the basketball up the floor in a hurry. Uh, Coach Roberts at the beginning of the season um, continuously told me that she wants to get a shot within 10 seconds of that shot clock, and that's regardless if a team's put the basket through, uh, put the ball through the basket and they just wanted to push ahead. They were all about trying to get early offense as well, and there's a good reason that we saw them scoring at will to begin the regular season. I also talked to Coach Rob about this same thing because each coach has a different philosophy of what a good shot is and what time they want to get a shot in the shot clock. And so she told me after one of the games in preseason that, you know what, it's a great shot. If you're on balance and you're open, then she's fine with her team taking it. But she doesn't like the death shots of what she considers between 10 to 20 feet. And if it's a unbalanced or forced shot, but If it's a good shot for you and you're balanced, then she wanted you to take it no matter how much time was on the shot clock. Their first four games of the regular season, they played, as you mentioned, they played Lipscomb to start out. They won that game 105-56, to a 49-point shellacking of Lipscomb. Followed by, uh, they played Xavier back on November the 13th, won that game 106-71. to Their first two games averaged 105.5 points per game. To have your first two games of the regular season come out and drop 105 in each of those games, that just goes to show you that Coach Roberts was dead serious about coming in with an entirely new focus. And frankly, at the beginning of the season, you felt like it was going to work. And as we saw as the season played out, it surely did have quite the effect. They countered it with a 92-50 win over St. Mary's, a 42-point win. And then they had a little bit of a closer contest against Cincinnati on November the 19th before uh, they went on the road for their first um, road game where they blew out Cincinnati by a score of 78-45. So those first four games, a good sample size, uh, they averaged... Uh, by uh, They averaged 101 points per game in their first three games averaged, and their first four games winning by an average margin of 40 points per game. Which, again, you look at the competition, none of those four teams made the NCAA tournament this year, but you still felt that coming into those first four games of the season, that this was going to be a special year. 
And when I asked about preseason with Coach Rob, she said that preseason is about building that confidence that her team needed because you look at the previous season, they finished 5-16 and 16 overall, 4-15 and 15 in conference. So again, it was a bad year, and they were trying to figure out who they wanted to be and what their philosophy was going to be. So those first four games gave people opportunity to get good minutes, go deep in their bench. Everyone kind of got the shots, and it was diversified throughout the whole team. You know, I do actually want to kind of go into what you were just talking about right there because a lot of people did have opportunities to shine from an early stage. You have to feel, I mean, obviously you were a freshman at Sacramento State at one point. Really the best way to gain confidence is to get on the floor and to actually perform. This opportunity of those first four games, blowing those teams out, gave the freshmen an opportunity to come out very, very early and perform well. And we saw great performances. Jenna Johnson came out of the gates incredibly strong. She got the start to be, I mean, she started games from the very beginning of the year. But we saw something special from Jenna Johnson from the very start, and it's because she got that opportunity early on in the season that obviously helped build her confidence. And I will say as a freshman, from experience coming out of high school and then going into college, it's a big adjustment because you're probably the best player on your high school team, one of the best players in your state. So you're coming to a program where you know everyone's good now. You're going to be playing against high-level competition all the time. And then one of the other factors that's a major difference is the speed. So to play these four teams and allow these freshmen and new players to get that experience just helped throughout the rest of the season. You know, we, so we saw great things, especially I want to start with Inesh Vieta. You know, she came out, had 16 points in that first game against Lipscomb, four of nine from the floor, three of six from three, had five rebounds, three assists. That was her debut in a Utah uniform. And we thought, oh my goodness, we got this point guard coming off the bench that's going to provide an incredible spark. And, you know, we uh, we kind of saw her minutes uh, digress just a little bit as the season went along because, you know, obviously as the season goes along, you're going to want your, you know, your solid point guard to play a lot of the minutes. But we got to see an early um, an early shot of what Inesh Vieta could provide. That doesn't even bring up what we saw from, um, from Jenna Neepkins, who ended up being the Pac-12 freshman of the year. A player coming into the season who we knew could score the basketball. And, you know, she showed from the early going that she was going to be a force to be reckoned with. I talked about this so often on the broadcast. I know you, I, I, it's my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite to bring up. And so I know please you, do. I know you tease me a little bit about that, but it's true because it just it just shows just how incredible she was in college. She ever, or excuse me, in high school, she averaged 43 points a game. As a senior in high school. Now, Miley, you played high school basketball. 32 minutes in a game. 32 total minutes in a high school basketball game. She averaged 43 a game. Her final high school game of her career, 67 points. I mean, come on. That is insane. And so, again, kind of proof and evidence that we knew coming in that Gianna was a scorer. And she obviously showed that right out of the gates, gained that early confidence from, from those first four games. Just going back to her high school stats, do you know the, what the final score of those games were? Because a lot of they high school teams don't even put up 60 points yeah. in 32 minutes. So for her to put up <laughs> 60 points by herself, they must be... I th- if I recall, those numbers were in the uh, were in the 90s, but I cannot remember what that final score was. Scoring about two-thirds of her... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was. I mean, she averaged a lot of assists, a lot of rebounds, a lot of steals. She was doing everything for her high school program. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, during during the season, and when I bring up those numbers, you were just like, man, how in the world does she have the opportunity to get that many shots up? Well, every game I was 
honestly shocked. They still shock me. And we even after we talked about those numbers with her when we brought her on after one of the games. So those three freshmen got the opportunity to play early on and really built that momentum moving forward. Then Utah, following those first four games, they then went to Hawaii for a uh, the Rainbow Wahine Showdown, which was uh, it was a little bit of a disappointing showing by Utah in that, in the sense that they came out struggling mightily against a very good Gonzaga team who ended up winning the uh, the West Coast Conference Tournament, knocking off BYU in upset fashion. Um, a very, very good team. They have a couple of twin sisters on that team that just dominate. And uh, they we learned from the early going that, that the Truong sisters, if I recall their name, um, that, 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 that that was going to be a tough game. And Utah fell behind early, couldn't quite come back. Um, that game was completely dominated by Gonzaga, and that's when Utah earned their first loss of the regular season. They bounced back, knocked off the host Hawaii by a final of 73-57. And then against Eastern Illinois, I felt that was when I kind of realized that, like, you know what, this new style of play that Coach Roberts is implementing is going to, I mean, really, you're going to have to trade one thing for the other. Obviously, they had a tough time defending Gonzaga, in which Gonzaga scored 89 points against them. But I looked at that as kind of being just a really good basketball team that could not miss. But then against Eastern Illinois, again, that's when I came to the conclusion, that like, all right, so this is an offense that's based on, hey, we're scoring so quickly. That's going to give opponents opportunities to score as well because they're going to get more possessions. Eastern Illinois scored 77 points in that game, a team that, 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 that Utah should have blown out, quite uh, quite frankly, um, but they still scored 93 points in that game, and I'd love to kind of get your thought on that as well. For me, it was that point, okay, so the teams they've played in the past, maybe not great offensive teams, but when you play a good offensive team, you're going to have to kind of trade one for the other. Do you go for just a lot of points, or do you kind of just go full bore on defense? Coach Roberts and her staff decided, you know what, we, we have a good enough offense, g- good enough shooters that I want to trade more or less. I want to play exceptionally high-level offense, even though that does allow defense or, or even though that does allow opponents to get more opportunities offensively as well. I think that deals with the recruits and the type of players that you have. So we just talked about Gianna being a high-volume scorer, and then there were other people on the roster that had the potential to become scorers throughout the season. So you look at the previous season, the 2020-2021 season, the Utes were ninth in scoring offense, scoring 60 points per game, but then they were also 12th in scoring defense, giving up over 70 points per game. So when you look at those numbers, you got to choose one to be good at. You can't be at the bottom of the conference in both of them. So like you said, the Utes chose to be the high-powered offensive team. So like you said, if they're going to score at a high rate, quick in the shot clock, then they're going to allow teams to do the same thing. So it goes to how many possessions each team gets and how many points they're going to be able to score. So Utah chose the path of trying to outscore their opponents instead of holding them too low numbers. I do think that obviously as you kind of recap and think back to how the season went, I think that was a pretty good direction for this team because they didn't necessarily have the size inside that a lot of the high-level Pac-12 teams do. Um, you know, and, and obviously we can go, we will talk about this in further detail on our, on our upcoming episodes, but when you have injuries like what happened with Peyton and you're only down to one you know, primary big, you're going to have to figure out different ways of winning basketball games. And Coach Roberts came in from the very beginning and said, you know what, we're going to be a high-level scoring offense, 
And that's what we saw from the very, very get-go. Like I said, the first three games averaging 101 points per game. Their first four games winning by an average margin of 40 points per game because they were just so high-level offensively that opponents could not quite match it. And I love that you kind of brought that up from last year as well because you kind of – I mean, you brought it right to the table. We saw that they were a bad defensive team last year, and they could not quite score. Coach Roberts said, you know what? We can still kind of be – a decent defensive team, but I want to change my whole entire offensive philosophy. And because she had the shooters, she put the shooters in the right place, right time. And we saw that right out of the gates that this was going to be a very, very fun and interesting season. So from that point, Utah came in 6-1 and one as they prepared for the big battle against the BYU Cougars. Now you were in attendance for that game. There was a lot of people, a lot of people at that basketball game. I mean, obviously for good reason. It's 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 against a very good BYU basketball team who brought back just a slew of starters. Everybody from their roster from the previous year came back. You know, we saw Utah struggle with BYU early on in that game. They had quite the comeback in that fourth quarter. But really what I took from that basketball game, Utah did fall by a score of 85 to 80. But what that game showed me was kind of the emergence of what would later become the breakout star in Gianna Neepkins. Gianna finished the game shooting 9 of 17, 4 of 10 from deep, and then 7 of 7 for the foul line for 29 points. After this game, Gianna won Pac-12 Freshman of the Week for her performance. She did this just in 25 minutes. She didn't even start this game, but after this game, <laughs> Gianna found herself in that rotation starting every single game for, from this point on. And we saw her just have just just a really terrific run from that point as well. That gave her that momentum that she carried into that Pac-12 season and you know obviously helped her to earn that Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in the, in the conference. But as you kind of think back to that BYU game, we knew that Gianna knew how to score the basketball. Gianna knew that she knew how to score the basketball. That was the first time that we got a really true good look at just how efficient of a scorer she could be. As you said, 29 points in that game specifically. But what kind of takeaways specifically about her game? Because I know how much you love efficient scoring. What kind of takeaways did you get from that game about how efficient of a scorer she could be and still, frankly, still can be after she just finished her, uh, her first year at the University of Utah? I just said a minute ago her numbers, but they're worth resharing because of how amazing this game was. Again, in just 25 minutes, scored 29 points on 9, nine of 17 shooting. 4 of 10 from deep, and then a perfect 7 of 7 from the foul line. And like you said, that kind of gave Gianna confidence going into the next couple games. The following game against Cal State Fullerton, she didn't get a lot of shots, 2 of 5. And then you continue down the line, Utah Valley, 4 of 11 at Oklahoma, shot 7 of 16. And then in the last preseason game before conference hit, 4 of 9. So this BYU game really gave Gianna confidence of what she could do scoring-wise and help this high-powered offensive team. Now, moving on, as we continue to kind of break down the non-conference regular season, Utah, after losing that game to BYU, fell to 6-2, and two, and they had a, uh, a very just dominant game against Cal State Fullerton where they ran away by a final of 100-45. to 45. That was the game that I recall you actually visited with head coach Lynn Roberts and talked to her about um, the direction that the, that the program was going. You wrote an incredible article uh, at that stage 
that actually kind of gave me the opportunity of seeing who you were. <laughs> That's kind of how I got to know you a little bit was actually from that article. Um, but what do you remember specifically about, I'm kind of getting you to go back a little bit and think about the conversation because you were alone in that room with Coach Roberts talking to her about not just her performance against Cal State Fullerton, but really what she had done all year long to that point. What's something that you can remember about that conversation that you had with head coach Lynn Roberts um, after that Cal State Florida win? I remember talking with her about her philosophy of what a good shot, bad shot was, which we already mentioned. Then I also talked to her about the strength of schedule in that preseason of how she wanted her team to build some confidence and that she felt like she got a good balance in the schedule she had. They beat the teams that they were supposed to beat in the preseason, but then they also had high-level competition games against Gonzaga, BYU, and then a tough Oklahoma team. As I did talk with her, Drew was in that post-game as well. They talked about how unselfish the team was and how that helped them to be the offensive team that they were, that no one was trying to create shots just for themselves. They were all unselfish and giving up good shots for better shots for their teammate. And that's that's what the whole mindset was for the season as it continued throughout the rest of conference and into the tournament as well, that this was an unselfish team. Coach Roberts said that no one on the team had egos, that they were all buying in to this philosophy that she had created. After that win, Utah had improved to 7-2 and two before they had themselves probably... Mm, would you say that this was maybe the toughest game that they had in the non-conference season? They had a home game, their final home game before, well, it was supposed to be their final non-conference home game. We did have a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of things happen right before conference play started that we'll get into in just a minute. Um, but it should have been at that point, should have been their final non-conference home game of, uh, of the year. And it was a tough one for them. Utah Valley came in, really nothing to lose at that point. Utah Valley at that point was, uh, was what were they? They were 5-4 and four coming in uh, to that game. And they came out and they played exceptional basketball to the point where Utah only had a, uh, a five-point lead going into the half. In fact, trailed after one quarter of play. Their defense, talking about Utah Valley, came out extremely tough and defending that three-point line, which led to Utah having their having their worst three-point shooting game of the season, going just an abysmal one of 21 from that three-point line. And that was kind of, at that point, you know, you kind of got to thinking, hey, Utah, a very high-volume three-point shooting team, you knew there was bound to be a game like this. I call them a stinker game. You knew they were bound to have a stinker game. And Miley, that's exactly what this UVU game was. It was a stinker game from the three-point line. But what it did show me is that they could figure out ways to win without having to hit the three. Albeit against Utah Valley, they still figured out a way to get that win by knocking off Utah Valley by 8 points, 65 to 57. And that's when they had to rely on their defense. And I thought that was a good experience for them to have to go through a game like that because I feel a game like that helped them to have the confidence to know, hey, we're not shooting the three ball well, but we can score in other ways. And that was a game Jenna Johnson dominated, going 21 points, 9 of 13 from the floor, and 14 rebounds. We talk about the three ball and how Utah only won by eight points. If they would have gotten a couple more three balls to drop, this wouldn't have been as close as it appeared to be. But like you said, defense is what won them this game. In the fourth quarter, they held UVU 
to just 21% shooting as they only allowed them to shoot 3 of 14 from the field and 1 of 6 from deep. So when the game got close and when Utah was down, their defense kicked in and they brought him back. And while the 3 was not dropping, the most important 3 that did fall for the Utes, which was the only one of the game, eventually sealed the outcome when Brenna hit the 3 from the left corner. But I remember listening to this game when you interviewed Coach Rob after, and she wanted to play numbers. And throughout the entire game, she just kept telling her team, like, our shots aren't dropping, but keep shooting because something will fall eventually. It didn't really start dropping throughout the entire game, but one dropped when it needed to, and it kind of sealed the game. You love that confidence, too, that she has in her team, knowing that, you know what, we are a good team. You're bound to have stinkers like this, but just keep shooting the basketball. That's got to be really nice to hear. Um, as a player from your you know from your head coach that hey even though we're not shooting well at all as a team she still has the confidence to trust us to be able to knock down those shots when you have that confidence from your coach giving almost everyone the green light to shoot I think that just helps players shoot better when they're not scared of shooting because mm. they're not going to have someone in their ear telling them that that's a bad shot or that's not something that they should shoot but when you have a coach supporting you and telling you to shoot I think that just makes players better at that point, Utah had advanced to 8-2 and two on the season with a very tough matchup coming up against the Oklahoma Sooners who were on the brink of the top 25 at that time and a team very similar to the style that head coach Lynn Roberts likes to play with and that's shoot the basketball within a couple of uh, within at least 10 seconds of the shot clock if i recall they were even quicker shooting a sh- shooting a shot within the first 7 seconds of the shot clock that's exactly what they did utah came out a great game plan to start that game took a 10 point lead going into the third quarter before Oklahoma switched to a full court press and the turnover bug started biting Utah like crazy. And Utah was on the wrong end of a 32-14 burst by Oklahoma in that fourth quarter and fell to the Sooners on the road by a score of 83-76. to And that, at that point, at least we thought, was going to wrap up the regular season. However, that's not what happened. <laughs> At that point, Utah was preparing to hit the road to go out to play the Oregon schools. But after Christmas break, they bring the team back and they got smitten by the COVID bug. And they got smitten hard as they uh, they had to postpone their road trip to Oregon. They then had to postpone their next two games against USC, uh, UCLA and USC. And then they thought they were ready to play. <gasps> Psych. <laughs> nah, that did not happen. They had a scheduled game against Cal on January the 13th, but Cal was hit by the COVID bug at that point, and Utah had five games in a row that were either canceled or postponed. And at that point, Coach Roberts went into, we got to play mode. It's time to figure out a way to play. And this is where we'll wrap up this episode because I think it's so incredible that Coach Roberts, in a span of no more than 36 hours, was able to, out of thin air, get a game put together where she was able to get in contact with UC Riverside and get a game set. Now, the caveat about this was she wanted a home game. She wanted to host UC Riverside, but there was a bit of an issue. Because the gymnastics team actually had a meet on Friday night, Coach Roberts wanted to play that game on Friday night. So what did she do? She turned her entire practice facility gym into a a, a regulation-type style and 
got UC Riverside to come to their practice gym and played a basketball game. Which I don't think that Riverside actually knew that it was going to be in the practice gym. But they came, and the game happened. <laughs> they did. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you are correct. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get an opportunity to be part of that game because there was very limited space. If you've been in that incredible practice facility, it's just unbelievable, by the way. But if you've been in that incredible practice facility, um, you know there's not a lot of room inside that, uh, inside that women's gym. There's a nice little perch that maybe... Maybe 25, 30 fans can fit up there. That's being generous, and that's about it. So they were able to piece together a way to get actual officials, a way to get the PA announcer and all the stats people along with the scorekeepers to get in there and actually host a game. We only really got pictures from that game, and that's about it. We did have a live Instagram that came out that I was able to watch just a little bit, but mostly, Miley, I sat in my living room watching the stat monitor. And live tweeting the game. This is true. <laughs> this is true because this was the first game that I'd, that I'd ever missed ever since I had started doing play-by-play for them. Honestly, that's got to be one of the most incredible stories of the entire season that coach was able to get in contact with UC Riverside and say, hey, we, we want to play a game. That was Wednesday night. She told me the story, and if I can find it, I'll actually put this on the tail end of this podcast. But she got a game put together within 36 hours and was able to you know, end their non-conference, uh, their non-conference regular season with an 89-48 win over UC Riverside when it really shouldn't have even happened in the first place. But this game was so valuable and definitely needed because to start fi- to finally start their conference play after so many games were already postponed, they were going to come out and play Stanford. There was 24 days that the Utes had not played a game against another team, and they were in desperate need of playing a game before they're going to turn around and play the defending national champs. <laughs> so for Coach Rob and her staff to get this game going into conference was huge. I do think it was. I mean, like I said, I think it's one of the most incredible stories of the entire regular season in a season that has quite the storylines, especially as we get further down the season and talk about the actual conference season, get into the Pac-12 tournament, which is magical in and of itself, and then as we go into the NCAA tournament. But uh, Miley, that is the non-conference regular season. Utah finished with a 9-3 and record. And I love what you mentioned earlier. You talked about how they beat the teams that they should have beaten. The one thing they did that, that, that they were unable to do, however, was get a quality win against a tournament team. I will say they uh, they did beat Hawaii in Hawaii, um, who ended up being a tournament team, but they were 1-3 and three against tournament teams in non-conference regular season. And I think Coach may have been a little bit a little disappointed with the fact that she wasn't able to get a big-time win. But overall, I do believe she was pleased with the way that her team was playing up to that point, especially as you just mentioned a moment ago, as their first conference regular season game ended up being against the national champions. I remember her saying in the preseason when she had the close game against BYU and Oklahoma that they were looking for that hump win, and it would have been nice to get that hump win going into the conference. And everything about this hump win about beating a quality team. But I think what was important is that they were keeping those games close against the quality team. So they were a extremely young team with not much of experience and what they were able to do in the preseason going into conference 
kind of just helped them and their confidence of who they were about to play. All right, so that will wrap up our first episode on kind of the return of the What You Need to Know podcast. But you know what? This is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a really fun offseason. And I, and again, the reason that I wanted to bring this back up is because, Miley, you and I were hustling, trying to get out of Texas because we had flights that night that we had to catch. So we didn't get an opportunity to talk about this on the air. And so I do want to talk about the whole season as a whole. And then as well, as we move into the offseason, as you talked about earlier, I'd love to get the chance to visit with players again and uh, get their feelings of the season and as well the new players coming in because I think two years ago it was so great to be able to interview some new players coming in as a kind of get to know you type thing um, that it will be good for the fans to listen to good for you and I to kind of get a good feel for who the new players are as well and hopefully so much more all right so we will do this every single week every episode will be posted on Monday and so look forward to that each and every single Monday as the return of the What You Need to Know podcast comes right at you with myself, Tyson Ewing, and Miley Enger as we kind of take a look back at the 2021-2022 magical regular season and get you set for the upcoming 2022-23 season um, in which should be a lot of fun to talk about. For Miley Enger, I am Tyson Ewing. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. We will catch you next week right here on the What You Need to Know podcast.